Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. There is no highlights for Raw or Impact Wrestling. Both of those shows aired their best of for their respective companies. For Raw, they aired best of for WWE, so best moments that happened of 2022. From this year on Impact Wrestling, they aired best of Impact Wrestling for 2022, so there are no highlights for those two shows. Now, NXT, they would have a show, and it would be announced that next week on NXT, it will be Alba Fire versus Isla Dawn in a Extreme Resolution match. My guess is a no-holds-barred with objects that are centered around the theme of New Year's party, like uh, wine glasses or just tables or chairs, things of that variety. That's what I think that match is basically revolving around, but basically is a no-holds-barred match. Also, Trick Williams will be going against Axiom next week, as well as Apollo Crews will be going against Carmelo Hayes. Now onto the show that happened this week. First matchup we will have would be JD McDonough going against Julius Creed with Brutus Creed in his corner. Julius would win the match by pinfall by hitting a rolling spine buster, then his sliding clothesline for the win. After the match, both the Creeds are in the ring as Indy Shear will come out and stand on the ring apron and tell the Creeds that in two weeks at New Year's Evil, they will finally have their match with each other. So at New Year's Evil, we were getting Indy Shear versus the Creeds, and I'm cool with that because now we finally get that match that we were supposed to have a couple weeks ago, but didn't happen to have. So now we're getting it. I'm cool. After this, we would get Wendy Chu going against Cora Jade. Wendy Chu would get the win by pinfall by hitting a full Nelson Slam, then a reverse body splash for the win. So that's probably the end of this little mini rivalry. Again, this was just something for Wendy and Cora Jade to do. I believe they're probably going to be positioning Cora Jade to be the next person to go against Roxanne Perez for the NXT Women's Championship because Cora Jade needs somebody to go against, and I know they're not trying to put anybody for Toxic Attraction. They tried to set up something for Toxic Attraction, uh, GD Dolan and JC Jane this week on NXT because they had them do a segment, and they talked about how Toxic Attraction ruled all of NXT for 2022, but um, their empire has come crashing down thanks to one woman, and they showed video of Roxanne Perez holding up the NXT Women's Championship, so they're trying to have somebody from Toxic Attraction take the title off of Roxanne, but I think Cora Jade is more than likely going to be like the first opponent of Roxanne, or at least somewhere in between either Gigi and JC going for that title. But anyway, Winnie Chu and Cora Jade's rivalry here should be done. This was just something for both women to do until they finally get something for them to actually do. Now, after this match, we would have Ikeman Jiro going against Scripps. Scripps would win the match by pinfall by hitting a flipping senton onto Jiro for the win. In this match, we got to see a more striking uh, offense from Jiro than we did in his past matches. Jiro is more of a comedy-style wrestler. He is a person that shouldn't be took as serious, but this match he was taken more serious because Scripps has something that belongs to Jiro. is Jiro's uh, jacket. And the whole thing with Jiro is that he comes out in a suit that has his face plastered all over the suit. So again, as I said, he's supposed to be meant as a comedy style character. And without him having his jacket, he feels that he is disrespected by the person that took it. And in this case, Scripps took his jacket. So 
He wanted his jacket back, and that's basically what this whole match was about. In the end, Scripps does win, obviously, as I said already. Scripps would give Jiro back his jacket, but again, Jiro looked impressive. That's basically the whole big thing here. Jiro looked impressive because he was striking, and I would like to see more of that going forward with Jiro. I understand he can still have his jacket and all that crap. I would like to see a more striking-based uh, element going forward with Jiro here. After this, we would have Lyra Valkyria going against Lash Legend. Lyra would win the match by pinfall by hitting a roundhouse kick and then a splash from the top turnbuckle onto Lash Legend for the win. After this, we would have a six-man tag team matchup of Schism going against Odyssey Joan, Idris Anafe, and Malik Blade. The Schism would win the match by pinfall when the Schism would hit a double doomsday device on Idris and Malik. Then the Dyad would hit a double code breaker onto Idris. And to end it off, Joe Gacy would hit the upside down, which is a handspring clothesline onto Idris for the win. Everybody in this match did well. Odyssey Jones, he was the big man for his group. He did what he had to do. Idris and Malik, they're growing more and more into wrestlers. They're already wrestlers, but I'm talking about their in-ring form in the in-ring presentation, they're starting to get better and better as the weeks are um, going and as much time as they constantly get in-ring presence. And the thing is, Idris and Malik and Odyssey, they actually look like a three-man unit out here. Schism, they are already a three-man unit because they've been presented as a three-man unit for a couple months now. Odyssey, Idris, and Malik, they just started to form as a three-man unit, what, a month or two ago? And this is their first time actually competing as a six-man group. And for this match, for them to go against Schism, I like the way that they moved around. Now, obviously, Schism was going to win because they have more time on their hands as a group. But I can see Odyssey, Idris, and Malik rising up in the ranks going into NXT next year, 2023. But the Schism, I feel that they're going to have a great year because I believe that NXT, they're going to almost rule it. I feel that Joe Gacy might win the NXT North American Championship uh, in 2023, and the Dyad will finally become NXT Tag Team Champions because they couldn't do it as Grizzle Young Veterans, so I feel with this presentation of them being the Dyad, I think they might get the job done here. We'll only have to see when uh, they do it in 2023. Now, after this match, we will have Fallon Henleg going against Kiana James, and the whole deal for this is that the winner of this match will get ownership of Fallon Henley's family's bar. That's the storyline for this. Fallon would win the match by pinfall by hitting a running knee to the head of Keanu James for the win. Now, there was something that I believe that the NXT audience are going to hype up going into the new year. It was when Keanu James was in the ring and she performed some type of move, but her like knee or ankle kind of gave out a little bit and she was holding on to her ankle. She yelled out in anguish and you saw... Brooks Jensen just looking at Kiana and trying to yell out, are you okay? But Fallon didn't care for that. She just need Kiana James in the head. And you saw her go for the pin and all this type of stuff. But during the match, you saw Jensen constantly try to give support to Kiana James as well as give support to Fallon Henley, as well as Josh Briggs constantly looking over at Briggs and kind of like elbowing him to like say, hey, focus on Fallon. She's our girl, not Kiana. She's trying to take something away from our girl. You will see that Jensen is now starting to get himself in a predicament here. As it's already starting to show, he has feelings for Kiana, and it's starting to see that Kiana kind of might have some feelings for Jensen. So we'll have to see going into NXT next week how that might be showcased next week. 
with probably Kiana looking at Jensen asking him, why didn't you look after me after the match? Or you could see both Briggs and Fallon going after Jensen next week, asking him who's his loyalty belong to. And I like this because we can see the breakup of Briggs and Jensen, at least for this tad bit with Jensen going over to Kiana and making sure she's okay, she's good as Briggs is staying loyal to Fallon, and that could be a nice little story that we're going into NXT. I see this where they might be wanting to go into, but again, I see that it's not going to be a big breakup. I see this being a little mini breakup, and then Briggs and Jensen will be getting back uh, together, but I like the way that they're going with this. It keeps people more interested, and it keeps more of these characters at least involved in doing something uh, on television. Now, after this, we will have the Drew Gulak's uh, Invitational in the middle of the ring. You have Drew Gulak here. You have Hank Walker as Drew's guest watching in the corner of the ring. And Drew would tell Hank that he needs to watch as he demonstrates some wrestling moves on his three uh, other wrestlers here. The first two wrestlers, they were kind of pushed over as Drew made them tap relatively easy. No harm, no foul. Now, the third guy, he actually pushed Drew a little bit, and Drew would get to the point that he get so upset that he would eventually get the third guy in the Dragon Sleeper and make him tap out. Now, however, he doesn't let go of this submission as quick as he did the first two. You would see Hank come in and tell Drew that the guy tapped out, and Drew would let go, and then you would see that Drew just told Hank that, listen, I kept the hold on to show you that, you know, sometimes you got to be more aggressive in your submissions. So that was my demonstration for you on that one. Then you would see Charlie Dempsey come out and he will walk towards the ring and Charlie would challenge Drew to an exhibition match right now. Drew would take offense to this and again, Hank would go over and calm Drew Gulag down. Charlie would then look at Drew and tell him that next week he was going to make an example out of Drew's student and he's talking about Hank Walker. So we have a match for Charlie Dempsey to go against Hank Walker next week on NXT. And I like this because, again, we're building up for something. What is it? I don't know. Again, I like the idea that Drew Gulak might be getting a group in NXT. Again, I want it to be something like he did in Evolve with Catchpoint. But only time will tell as this thing goes by. And again, the more I see Charlie Dempsey, I see a meaner-looking William Regal. You can tell that that is Regal's kid. If you put... Him next to his father, the photo side by side, you could tell that is a spitting image of Regal only if he just had a much more nastier, like meaner scowl on his face. But I'm glad that uh, William Regal's coming back to WWE. Hopefully we get to see him with his son somewhere down the line on screen. I don't think we're going to see him on screen as a character in 2023. I don't know what type of agreement that he made with uh, Tony Khan for him to be released out of his contract. Only time will tell with that. But whenever he does get on screen, I have a feeling that he'll be with his son and now make for excellent television. Now, after this, we'll go into the main event. North American Championship matchup. Wesley going against Tony D'Angelo with stacks in his corner. Wesley will get the win by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Dijak. When Tony powerbombed Wes, Tony will go to the top turnbuckle and climb to the top. You will see Tony... Then go and look outside of the ring and you see Dijak grab up stacks and like drag him to the back. This will allow Wes to hit Tony, knocking him off the top turnbuckle. And then you see Wes finish off Tony D'Angelo with a backflip Pele kick for the win. So it seems to me that we're building up for a triple threat match with all three of these guys because Wesley told Dijak a couple weeks ago that once he gets done dealing with Tony D'Angelo, he 
after Dijak next. So now with Tony D'Angelo, quote-unquote, being out of the way, you see that Wesley's going at the Dijak next. But with Dijak now kind of putting a wrinkle into Tony D'Angelo's plan to become an NXT champion by taking out his guy Stacks, you can tell that whenever Dijak has his opportunity to become the NXT champion against Wes, Tony D'Angelo is more likely going to screw over Dijak. So for me, I have a feeling this is where we're going to get. Wesley going against Dijak at New Year's Evil. Tony D'Angelo is going to come out and mess that match up. And then he's going to set up for a triple threat match at Vengeance Day, where it'll be Wesley, Dijak, Tony D'Angelo, all for the NXT North American Championship. Only time will tell if that happens. I just think that would be the smarter way to go about it. But oh, again, only time will tell. But with that, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, off to AEW Dynamite. First match that we have on the show would be Brian Danielson going against Ethan Page with Stokely Hathaway in his corner. MJF will be watching the match from a personal suite in the arena. And as the match will start, you will hear MJF throw insults at Brian Danielson. He never throws insults at Ethan Page. Even when Ethan Page took advantage of the match, he would look up at MJF and just mouth off some words to MJF as MJF just looks there and just starts smiling. So again, I want you guys to pay attention to that because I'm about to say something after that. Brian Danson, however, would get the win by submission when Ethan had Brian up for the ego's edge, but Brian would get out of the move and hit the Buseko knee, then grab Ethan Page and stomp him out, then finish him off with the regal stretch for the win. Now, remember when I said MJF did not say any ill will towards Ethan Page? I still think it's going into the my theory that the firm is still working for MJF. I understand we're trying to create some division of saying that the firm no longer works for MJF, how the firm is not with MJF. We're trying to make it seem that way, especially with Ethan Page constantly saying, if I was in a position, I would take the title off of MJF. And anytime MJF's mouth is being somewhere just even mentioned, Ethan Page wants to kind of stick his nose in. I understand we're trying to create that like message towards the fans, but Again, I think the fans are more savvier and they know that this thing's a way for somehow this to be a swerve on everybody for whenever MGF does finally get into the ring with probably a Brian Danson or whoever it is. And then the firm's going to come out and just start stomping out whoever MGF is going against. And it'll be the big thing like, oh my God, the firm was really working with MGF. It's all been a swerve. I feel that's where we're going with this. If that's the case, cool. If not, I don't understand why because again, the firm was a group created by MGF and Stokely putting guys together in one faction. It still should be that way, so why not? If Again, if it doesn't go that route, I want to see how Tony Khan's going to cook this up. Again, Tony, just go with my idea. You have a free of charge. I'm just throwing it out there. Now, after this, we have Top Flight going against Claudio Castagnoli and John Moxley. Claudio and Moxley would get the win by pinfall. When Claudio would uppercut Darius Martin. They cover him for the win. This was a great match. A great tag team match. Top flight stock has gone up even in the loss against Claudio and John Moxley. I said last week, whenever this match was announced, that I wanted top flight to win against Claudio and Moxley. Even watching this match, I still wanted it to happen. But in the way that they lost, it made both Darius and Dante look stronger. Darius Martin, he would kick out of the neutralizer. 
And then every time that Claudio would try to hit him with some other type of move, it just wouldn't put Darius down. And once Darius got to his feet, Claudio just like slapped him across the face. You would see Darius slap Claudio across the face. Claudio would take his mouthpiece out and just uppercut Darius with a nasty uppercut. And that put Darius down. This was a match that really risen the stocks of Dante and Darius. I think if both men can be injury-free throughout the whole 2023, I think they're going to have a great 2023 as a tag team. AEW's tag team division, to me, should be centered in 2023 by the Guns, the Acclaimed, Top Flight, FTR, and Private Party. I don't put the Young Bucks in this because I feel that the Young Bucks and Kenny have some work to do in the trios division, especially with them going after uh, Death Triangle and possibly the House of Black if that comes into that or whoever the case may be, FTR and CM Punk. Just saying it out there, out loud there. But I think the Young Bucks and Kenny are going to be sticking together in 2023. That's just my personal thing. And if not, I see the Young Bucks are going to be used as a team that's probably going to help other teams out in 2023. Again, I think that AEW has a accoutrement of young tag teams and young talent that they should start building young tag team talent around in their division. Again, the acclaim, they're already at that point that they're the top dogs of AEW's tag team division. The Guns, they're trying to get up to that point, and I think that they can be in 2023. Top Flight, again, with this match that they just had and also the win that they got at Rampage last week, they already started building up momentum there. Private Party, they were a team that came into AEW with a whole lot of promise, and they have been falling down ever since then, and they need to do something with them. And for FTR, Private Party, the Guns, Top Flight, all these teams that are going to be the centered focal points, even the Acclaim, could be FTR in 2023. And again, this still could lend into the story of FTR being the top rated tag team by critics and everybody in 2022 and just show them having a downward spiral in 2023 until the savior, CM Punk, comes back and help revitalize their career if, again, we're going around with the idea that CM Punk is still going to be employed by AEW in 2023, which, for me, I believe that they should keep CM Punk around. But only time will tell if CM Punk and Tony Khan comes to that agreement for him to still be around or for him to split. That's the only thing that will come of that. But again, for me, I think that Punk should still be there. And again, it lends to the story of... CM Punk being the savior for FTR and basically trying to will them back to their great status that they had in 2023 and even before, before they came into AEW when the rest of the world, even people in WWE called FTR one of the greatest tag teams in WWE. So that's just my personal opinion on how I believe AEW's tag team division should be focused and the center point should be around in 2023. But yet again, this matchup right here, top flight, even in defeat, their stock rolls up, but the winners of this match would be John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli. Now, after this, we will have Hook going against some scrub. Uh, Hook would win the match by submission by locking in the red rum for the win. No surprise. After the match, Stokely Hathaway, W. Morrissey, or better known as Bill Morrissey, to call him an AEW, and Lee Moriarty will make their way down to the ring. You will see them get on the ring apron. Jungle Boy will come down, and he would get into a brawl with Lee Moriarty. 
while Morrissey would get in the ring and he would stand, I'm not going to say toe-to-toe, but he would stand in front of Hook and Hook would have to look up at Morrissey and Morrissey would just look down at Hook. Morrissey would get his hand wrapped around uh, Hook's throat as he looks to hit him with a choke slam, but Jungle Boy would get in the ring and hit Morrissey in the back multiple times with a 2 by 4 before Morrissey would slide out of the ring. Again, we're building to Morrissey and Lee Moriarty going against Jungle Boy and Hook. I'm cool with this. Again, as I said before, we're giving uh, wrestlers something to do. Jungle Boy, he needs something to do as he waits for Christian Cage to heal up. Hook getting more airtime. That's not bad for him. You got Lee Moriarty and Morrissey not doing nothing and having them on television just gives the firm more presence on Dynamite and it basically helps out their stable to be shown more on television. That's a good look. So again, these four guys doing something, I'm glad they're doing something in AEW. Now aside for match six of the best of seven series between the Elite and Death Triangle, which is a false count anywhere match, the Elite would win the match by pinfall when Pac would have Matt Jackson in the Brutalizer in the middle of the ring. And as Pac was cranking on the Brutalizer and Matt looks like he's about to tap a camera angle, you would see there'll be a split screen of Pac in the middle of the ring with Matt in the submission. Omega, he has Phoenix in the one-winged angel and you would hit him with the one-winged angel off of a perch through tables. And you see Kenny place his hand over Phoenix and you see a referee come from out of somewhere and just make the cover pin. And Kenny Omega will get the win for his team. So in the next two weeks, well, in two weeks time, sorry, on January 11th edition of Dynamite, we will get a ladder match for the trios championship between the Elite and Death Triangle. This false count anywhere match was insane. Literally, it started backstage. They didn't start in front of the crowd. You didn't get to see entrances from the Elite or Death Triangle. No, 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 no. It started literally backstage and it worked themselves into in front of the crowd. There were a couple big moments in this match. You saw uh, Kenny Omega hit a nasty V trigger on Ray Phoenix after Ray Phoenix jumped off of the entrance like like entrance tunnel onto Pac, Penta, and the Young Bucks. Um, you saw Matt Jackson hit what four Northern Light suplexes uh, onto Pac and Penta as he was coming down the entrance ramp. You got to see the Young Bucks hit a Meltzer driver outside of the ring. I mean, this match was pure insanity, and I understand why. Again, they were trying to constantly build up from what they did uh, last week in the no disqualification matchup, and they constantly been trying to top themselves over and over. So you can only imagine two weeks' time on their January 11th edition of Dynamite in the ladder match, what type of crap both teams are going to pull off to become the trio's champions. And for me, again, I'm just going to throw it out here. I want Death Triangle to still retain the championships, but I will not be mad if the Elite win him because the Elite have put in that work since they've come back from suspension with Death Triangle, match after match after match to say, AEO, we deserve to have our trio championships back. So I would not be mad if the Elite were to win, but for my personal preference, I think the Death Triangle should retain the trio championships, but I can see that probably not happening. But again, I wouldn't be too mad at all if 
any outcome on January the 11th. Only thing I know is, is it's going to be a crazy ladder match between uh, the Elite and the Death Triangle. And personally, I can't wait to see it. Now, after this, we have Anna Jay and Ty Mello going against Willow Nightingale and Ruby Soho. Ty and Anna would get the win by pinfall when the ref was distracted with Anna Jay trying to bring in a chair. And once you see the referee distracted with Anna, Ty Mello will go outside of the ring, grab a steel chair, throw it at Ruby Soho. Ruby would catch it. Ty will hit Ruby with a pump kick. And then you would see Ty follow it up with a Ty KO onto Ruby for the win. So this is going to continue their rivalry of Ty and Ruby Soho's rivalry. And okay, cool. Somehow they need to finish this thing off quickly so Ruby can go off and do something else and Ty can go off and do something else. Again, I want Ruby Soho to have her Sami Zayn NXT style run where she's always the underdog until she finally gets to her one important opportunity to win her championship. Either it be the TBS or the AEW Women's Championship, it doesn't matter. I think that the right build for her and the way that the fans love her from her entrance to the way that she comes out, I think is going to be a big pop or big like applause when Ruby Soho finally gets a win with a championship attached to it. That's just me. So I want this rivalry to end quickly so Ruby can do her Sami Zayn deal from NXT. Remember, NXT, not the main roster. NXT, because NXT, he actually won the main title. Main roster, he hasn't done that yet. Just want to make sure everybody has a clear understanding of this. I want Ruby to have that type of run, and I believe that everybody will be satisfied with it. Now, after this, we get to the main event, the TNT Championship match. Samoa Joe defending his championship against Warlow. Now, at first, we didn't know we were going to get this match because earlier in the night, Warlow was attacked by Samoa Joe when Samoa Joe would hit Warlow in his left leg with a pipe. So as the uh, show will go on constantly, we didn't know if that match was going to happen until we get to the main event. Joe's out here. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. He would get a microphone and say that apparently Warlow is gonna come, isn't going to come out tonight. And we're not going to have this match until Warlow comes out. You see personnel trying to make sure that Warlow doesn't go into the ring. Warlow pushes personnel out of the ring. We end up getting the match. In the end, Samoa Joe will get the win by submission. When Warlow would get Samojo and powerbomb him one time, but then he tries to powerbomb him for a second time with a standard powerbomb. He couldn't lift up Joe. Joe would then chop block uh, Warlow behind his left knee and then lock in the Coquina Clutch for the win. Now, after the match, you would see Joe holding both of his championships, the Ring of Honor TV title and the TNT championship, and he would watch as... Warlow would try to get to his feet, and then when Warlow got to his feet, you would see Joe just, like, nod his head at Warlow. Like, he's giving him some respect for the battle that these two just had. Then he would run over and hit Warlow with the TNT Championship. So he kind of suckered in Warlow and suckered in the whole entire crowd. So once he does this, Samoa Joe would get out of the ring, get some scissors, and I knew as a fan exactly what he was going to do. He goes over to Warlow and he cuts Warlow's freaking ponytail. He cuts his ponytail, man. I got a big kick out of this because now Warlow's probably going to have to come back here with a buzz cut. So that's going to be hilarious to see how Warlow pulls this off, to be honest. But anyway, after he cuts Warlow's ponytail, you will hear Darby Allen's music hit and you see Warlow on the ground. Samoa Joe looks at the entrance ramp. And he's looking for Darby to come out, but Darby would come through the crowd, 
sneak in the ring behind Samoa Joe and hit him in the back with the skateboard. Samoa Joe would then roll out of the ring, holding his back as he watches as Darby Allen grabs the TNT title and just holds it. And you just see that that's the next rivalry that we have. Samoa Joe going against Darby Allen for the TNT Championship. And I can't wait for that personally. I already got in the Samoa Joe Darby Allen match once. And again, that was a brutal match on Darby's end. He took a lot of punishment on that one. I think he's going to take a lot of punishment into the next match. I think Darby Allen doesn't mind punishment, obviously, but I hope somebody is going to recommend Darby. Ayo, you got a career. You don't should you shouldn't be doing this. Something along those lines. I'm hoping that somebody does that, but only time will tell. But going into the feud with Joe, I can't wait to see it personally for me because this is going to re-elevate Darby back into the spot that he needs to be. He needs to be in the main event spot for AEW. But only time will tell. But anyway, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, as I said earlier in the episode, there is no Impact Wrestling uh, anything to talk about. However, there is one thing to note on Impact. Well, not the product itself, but the Impact history itself. Former Impact Wrestling announcer Don West was announced that he had passed away at the age of 59 after an ongoing battle with brain lymphoma. Um, his former colleague, his former commentating partner, Mike Tanay, would share the news on Twitter. He would talk about how his wife informed him about his former commentator's uh, passing, and he just decided to share that. Um, you know what's crazy to me? I remember... <laughs> Don West and Mike Tanay, a lot on Impact Wrestling or TNA at the time it was called, and those two guys were literally the voice of TNA, the voice of Impact. When Don West got moved from doing commentary on Impact Wrestling and his spot got, I believe, assigned to Taz, who was with TNA at the time, Don West just decided to move over to the selling merchandise side, and he just started being the merchandise guy for Impact he just started trying to get on infomercials and sell Impact merchandise at the live events. He would be the guy trying to sell you the products there. I mean, he would try to do everything he can to make sure he was known in Impact as being a valuable asset to Impact, as well as he, at one point he was the manager for Amazing Red, who was the Impact X Division champion at the time. And again, he was just trying to make himself known and just trying to make sure that everybody still recognized that he is still a part of the Impact team. So. It's really crazy to hear the passing of um, Don West. It was crazy, but again, everybody has to pass. You just don't know when your time's coming up. So again, everyone, please spend time with your loved ones um, as much as you can. And rest in peace to Don West, as well as um, SmackDown um, would have a reference to Don West from Michael Cole. He would let the world know as well on Impact that Don West has passed away, and he even made a reference to how Don West made an impact in the wrestling business, a.k.a. impact to TNA. You get the drift here. And also, AEW Rampage, before their show would start, they would show a photo of Don West, and they'll put from the day that he was born, the year to the day that he passed. So, again, they pay respect to Don West. So that tells you how much impact Don West really did make in the wrestling business. So, again, rest in peace to Don West. And, again, that's... Just a little bit of information that we do know about anything of impact relevance of this week. Now, on to Friday Night Smackdown. Smackdown would open up 
with Bray Wyatt in the middle of the ring. Bray would be interrupted by L.A. Knight. Knight would talk reckless to Bray and mention that Royal Rumble season is coming up, and this will be L.A. Knight's first Royal Rumble, and he wants to make a statement. He tells Bray that he's going to break him like dishes. So then you have Bray tell Knight that he is starting to get tired of Knight, and he could have ended this weeks ago. So Bray would tell Knight that he accepts his challenge at Royal Rumble. Then a video will play, and it's another cryptic message from Uncle Howdy. Now this time, Uncle Howdy would come out. Side note here, Uncle Howdy does look thinner in his appearance, so this might be a new person playing Uncle Howdy, because last time we saw him, what, a week or two weeks ago, he looked at a little bit more heftier. This time he looks a little bit more slimmer, so they could have a new person playing Uncle Howdy underneath the mask. Now back from the side note, and as Uncle Howdy gets to the ring, Uncle Howdy would first stand in front of L.A. Knight, and then he would turn to stand in front of Bray Wyatt. Then he would stand beside Bray Wyatt, and then L.A. Knight would just throw his arms up in the air like, of course. So now Knight thinks that both Wyatt and Howdy is going to beat him up, but Uncle Howdy would grab Bray and hit him with the sister Abigail, leaving Bray Wyatt laid out on the mat. L.A. Knight would leave the ring and question what just happened. Uncle Howdy would then leave the ring and start walking back up the ramp. Now, it would be announced that at Royal Rumble, it will be L.A. Knight going against Bray Wyatt in a Mountain Dew-sponsored pitch black match. Now, I have no idea what that means. It was not specified. My idea is that the little spotlights that they have for Bray Wyatt, meaning whenever you see Bray Wyatt in the middle of the ring and he's promo time, that you see the lighting effect that they have for him. I think that's going to be the lighting effect that Bray Wyatt and LA Knight will be going against each other at the Royal Rumble. But more than likely, time will tell as weeks go up to the Royal Rumble and we'll get more information on the match. Now, the first match of the night would be Solo Sokoa with the Usos in his corner going against Sheamus, who had the Brawling Brutes in his corner. Solo would win the match by pinfall when he hit the Samoan spike on Sheamus. After the match, the Usos would get in the ring and start attacking Sheamus. Now, Butch and Ridge would try to get in and help, but they would eat super kicks for their troubles. Solo would get a chair and then place it around Sheamus's neck, and he planned on taking Sheamus out the same way that he did Matt Riddle. But Drew McIntyre would come down to the ring, and he would attack the Usos and Solo, making them retreat. And it was announced that next week on SmackDown, the Usos will be going against Sheamus and Drew McIntyre for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships. Now, out of this, we get the SmackDown Women's Championship matchup between Raquel Rodriguez going against the champion, Ronda Rousey, who has Shayna Baszler in her corner. Now, this will be a good match for Ronda Rousey, especially after that match that she had with Shotzi at uh, Survivor Series. This match with Raquel was really a standout match for Ronda Rousey. I mean, it. she... She and Raquel have something. This is their second match this year against each other, and not surprisingly, it was for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Um, but in the end, just like the first time, Ronda Rousey would get the win. Ronda would get the win this time by submission, by locking in the armbar on Raquel's bad arm while they were on the top turnbuckle. And whenever they fall down to the mat, Ronda still has the armbar locked in on Raquel, and Raquel would immediately tap out. After the match, Ronda and Shayna would be in the ring in a returning Charlotte Flair would come out with new gear and new music, and Charlotte would get in the ring. Ronda would ask Charlotte how her arm has been, because the last time we saw Charlotte was at WrestleMania Backlash, where Ronda Rousey broke Charlotte's arm, and that's the reason why we haven't seen Charlotte for a long period of time. And they even commentated on commentary that 
We haven't seen Charlotte since May. So that tells you it's been a good seven months since we've seen Charlotte here. Ronda would say that, let me guess, you want a match at Royal Rumble for the championship. Charlotte would say, no, I want that match right now. Now you see Shayna like trying to tell Ronda, do not accept the match. You just had a hard for a match. You can go. We can leave. You can decline. Ronda, she would not listen to Shayna at all. She would tell Charlotte, sure, we can do it right now. So she gives the championship off to the referee. The match begins. Charlotte would hit Ronda with a big boot, try to get the win like that. Nope. You see Charlotte try to go for the spear on Ronda. Ronda would eat the spear, but she would grab uh, Charlotte's arm and try to get her in the arm bar. Now, as she's trying to get her in the arm bar, Charlotte would roll up uh, Ronda and then hold her tight as the referee counts to one, two, three. And now we have a new SmackDown Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair, making Charlotte a 14-time Women's Champion. Now, after this, we have Imperium coming down to the ring, and they're out here for Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci to talk up Gunther's Intercontinental Championship reign. They will play a video of showing who Gunther has beaten so far in his reign. They show Shinsuke Nakamura, Rey Mysterio, Sheamus, and Ricochet. And once the video gets done playing, you will see Braun Strowman come out and get to the ring. Braun will tell Gunther that he wasn't in the video, which means Gunther hasn't beaten him. Gunther was going to leave the ring, but Braun will grab Gunther and tell him that he wasn't asking for a match. He is telling him he's going to get into kind of a championship match. Ludwig and Giovanni will try to attack Braun, but Braun will beat them up. Braun will then grab Gunther, and Gunther and Braun will have a stare down. Braun will beat up on Gunther. Gunther would leave the ring. Braun would follow and run down Giovanni Vinci, Ludwig Kaiser. But whenever he got to Gunther, Gunther would move out of the way and Braun would run through the barricade. Gunther would take this opportunity to get a steel chair and hit Braun Strowman multiple times with the steel chair. Imperium would then get Braun into the ring. Gunther would continue to beat up on Braun with a steel chair. This would lead to Ricochet coming down to the ring with a chair of his own. Now, once he got in the ring, he would scare off Ludwig Kaiser, Giovanni Vinci, and Gunther. But when Gunther got out of the ring, Ricochet swung the chair at Gunther. And it looked like it clipped Gunther's head because once Gunther got out of the ring and he was on the floor, you saw him like hold his head and referees and backstage personnel would be already outside of the ring. And they just looked at Gunther to make sure he's okay. So I'm not sure if Gunther got clipped by the chair. It looked like it. I don't know if he got, like, opened up, busted open with the chair. I don't know. It was not informed on SmackDown. But what was informed was that in two weeks on SmackDown, Braun Strowman will go against Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship. Now, off to the main event of SmackDown, the big tag team main event, Kevin Owens and John Cena going against Sami Zayn with the undisputed heavyweight champion, Roman Reigns, with the bloodline in their corner. Now, Kevin Owens and John Cena would win the match by pinfall when John Cena would hit Roman Reigns with the attitude adjustment, and Kevin Owens would hit Sami Zayn with the stunner. They cover him for the win. The whole story in this match was that Sami Zayn was trying to hold up his end of this team with Roman Reigns. As we all know, Roman Reigns is dominant, and Sami Zayn is just trying to look for some respect, and he's finally got that respect in the bloodline. Kevin Owens would play the bully to Sammy here and constantly mess with him and taunt him. This would kind of take Sammy out of the match here when Kevin Owens does this. Roman Reigns would see it and he would just look at Sammy with side-eyeing him. And I think Roman knows that Sammy's not in his like 
when boxers say they're weight class, Roman knows that Sammy's not in his weight class. So I think he's just using this as a way to see if Sammy is truly over Kevin Owens the way that he proclaims that he is. But in the end, Roman Reigns does lose, but he did not get the pin. Well, he did not eat the pin. Sami Zayn eat the pin. So I'm not certain how that's going to affect Roman Reigns and his ideology of him not losing since, what, 2019, actually taking a pin. I'm not certain they're going to play into that next week on SmackDown with Roman, Sammy, and the bloodline, and then you're going to have Paul Heyman talking to Sammy. I'm not certain of that because this SmackDown episode, there was multiple segments where the theme of it was that Roman Reigns is not too keen on kind of playing second fiddle to Sammy here. Like when the crowd reacts and they're all out there, they'll be chanting Sammy. That was implied whenever Paul Heyman was talking to Sammy earlier in the night and then whenever uh, all the bloodlines in their locker room and you see Sammy talking to Roman and he asks Roman, is he okay with the fans kind of like chanting his name because he doesn't he doesn't think that Roman will have a problem with that. You just see Roman just like phase out and stare out for a minute before he answers and say, nah, I don't got a problem with that at all. So again, we might be seeing the evolution or at least the blocks to the stage where Sammy is going to be kicked out of the bloodline. Now with him actually taking the loss for his team with Roman Reigns as his partner, that might be accelerated much more going into next week's SmackDown. But all would be known and answered next week on SmackDown, so we just got to wait and see. Now, with that being said, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Rampage. It was announced on Rampage that next week on Dynamite, Tony Nese will be going against Brian Danielson. The TNT Championship will be on the line, where Darby Allin will be going against Samoa Joe as well as the AEW Tag Team Championships will be on the line as the Acclaim will be defending it against the team of Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. Now, the matches that happened on Rampage were as follows. The All-Atlantic Championship match, where Tremperetta with Chuck Taylor in his corner, going against Orange Cassidy, who had Dan Housen in his corner, with Kip Sabian on commentary for the match. Now, Orange Cassidy would win the match by pinfall when Penelope Ford would walk down to the ring and get on the ring apron, and Trent will look at Penelope until they get off the ring apron because Trent was looking to hit Orange Cassidy with probably a running knee, but we'd never ever know if he was going to hit the running knee because that's whenever Penelope Ford would get on the ring apron. Now, once Trent would turn around, Orange Cassidy would grab Trent and hit him with the beach break, cover him, and Trent would kick out, and this would lead to Orange Cassidy to hit Trent with the orange punch and cover him for the win. Now, after the match, you would see Trent Perretta, like, get out of the ring, and Chuck Taylor will follow him and kind of, like, walk up the ramp. You didn't see Trent and Chuck wait for Orange Cassidy. This is kind of like the dissension that Kip Sabian was kind of going for here whenever Penelope Ford went down to the ring. Even commentary would ask Kip, what are you doing? He says, what do you mean? I have no idea what you're talking about at all. So Kip was playing dumb as he was basically being the puppet master for this whole entire match. He was trying to cause some dissension between Orange Cassidy and the best friends, and it looked like he got his wish, because after the match was over, both Trent and Chuck Taylor just went directly to the back, and Trent looked upset at Orange Cassidy. Now, after this, you will see Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford in his corner going against some type of guy. It was basically a scrub, 
Kip Sabian would win the match by pinfall by mocking Orange Cassidy and hitting an orange punch on the guy for the win. So Kip Sabian has his eye set on the All-Atlantic Championship, so that's telling you exactly where this whole thing is going. Now, after this, John Moxley would come down to the ring and he would talk about how for the last three years in AEW, there has always been two guys that have always been at the forefront of this company, and it's him and Hangman Page. Moxley would remind the people at home and in the crowd that this business is a tough business. And he says this because the doctor for AEW still hasn't cleared Hangman Page for in-ring competition. Mox would say that he has been hurt for the past 10 years. So what? There's nothing brand new about this. You know what you're getting yourself into when you get into the wrestling business. That's what Mox is basically trying to say with this. Mox would then throw out the challenge to Hangman Page to meet him. January the 11th on Dynamite, so we have to wait and see if Heyman would be cleared by the time of January the 11th. More than likely, he probably will, so the Los Angeles crowd will get John Moxley going against Hangman Page. Now, after this, we get the TBS Championship match. Kiara Hogan, who is a former baddie, going against her former boss, Jay Cargill, with the baddies in her corner. Now, the baddies consist of Layla Gray and Red Velvet. Now, Jade would win the match by pinfall when she hits Jade on Kara Hogan for the win. Now, Jade is 46-0 in her AEW career. Now, there was something during the match that is going to grab everybody's attention. Now, during the match, Layla Gray would hold Kara Hogan outside of the ring, and Jade was going to slap Kiara, but Red Velvet would grab Jade's hand and stop her from doing it. Jade would look at Red Velvet, and you would see... Jade just look at Red Velvet and they would just stare at one another. Kiara would somehow get off the grips of Layla Gray, kick Jade in the stomach, get her in the ring, and Kiara would try to make some offensive maneuvers on Jade, but in the end, obviously, Jade's still your TBS champion. And now we have some dissension in the ranks of the baddies of Red Velvet and her boss, Jade Cargill. Now, what's funny to me, if people remember, this year, Stokely Hathaway, he was part of Jade's whole group, he was the one that brought in Layla Gray, while Jade still had both Red Velvet and Kiara Hogan. And at that time, Layla Gray was trying to make herself useful to Jade. Jade wasn't trying to, like, really mess with Layla Gray at all, no nothing. It was Stokely that kept on telling Layla Gray, relax, she's gonna need you. Relax, you'll be fine. And now, fast forward months later, Layla Gray is the right-hand woman to Jade. So Stokely's words to Layla Gray was right, and now you're starting to see the fruits of Stokely's whole plan actually pay off. So in the end, it might not be Red Velvet or Kiara Hogan that might take the title off of Jade. It might not be Ruby Soho. It might not be Willow. It just might be, in the end, Layla Gray to really pay off this whole thing, and that would be something of a surprise to everybody if Layla Gray was the person. But for me, it might not be because I think AEW's putting in the seeds and just letting it just water and marinate until everybody remembers that when Stokely comes back and grabs Layla Gray and have her be the one to beat Jay Cargill. Now, I'm not certain how the AEW fan base might feel about it. They should feel like, okay, we've been following the story whenever the story gets presented to them yet again. If that plan does happen, and I think it should personally, because why not build up Layla Gray's stock for her to be the one to beat uh, Jade Cargo after basically being her right-hand woman. I would think that's how the story should go. If Jade Cargo is going to lose, if she's not going to lose to like some big mega superstar that's going to come into the company. Because again, this year has been dominated by 
Jay Cargill. Jerry Cargill has been dominant through this whole entire time. And also going into 2023, I say, why not have her like lose the title to somebody and have her try to start going after the main championship, the AEW World Championship. Now, that's my idea of going into 2023 or as Jade's in 2023 have her go after the aw women's championship the actual world title set of the tbs title and let her be the face of aew that's my personal preference i will have to wait and see if that happens but for the tbs title i say let Layla gray win it and have her join the firm or have her with stokely so stokely's whole plans of gaining power in aew that was a uh stokely's whole thing whenever the firm was around and whenever he created the firm that was his whole plan why not let that be the first championship that he has if nobody else is going to win a championship yet let that be the first one and as everybody will see that stokely's plans actually has come into effect and is actually working ta-da we can do that so that's my whole idea for layla gray and jay cargo going into the future well 2023 for aew and the women's division where it requires jay cargo on the tbs championship now off to the main event, ROH Pierre champion Wheeler Yuta going against Swerve Strickland with mogul affiliates in his corner, which is Parker Boudreaux and that bigger mystery guy, which I forgot his name, but they're going to give him a ring name, so I just got to wait for that to happen. Uh, Anyway, Swerve would win the match by pinfall, and Swerve would go for the JML driver, but Yuta would resist it. Swerve would accidentally elbow the referee in the corner, and as the referees kneel down, Yuta and Swerve would still continue. Swerve would kick Yuta in the nuts and then hit him with the JML driver. And the referee would recover, see Yuta down for the pin, and give the win off to Swerve Strickland. So Swerve would win the match, and he would win the final match of Rampage of 2022. So that's your Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, there's two things I want you guys to know. One that happened this week. And one that has been going on this whole entire year that I think people haven't paid attention to, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. The first thing that happened this week was Dragon Lee. Dragon Lee, the brother of Roosh, he has now officially signed to WWE. It was announced whenever Dragon Lee and his brother Drillistico beat FTR at AAA's event uh, this week for the AAA Tag Team Championships. After the match happened, he would get on the microphone and... The main point was that he announced that he was going to WWE. He has officially signed with them. So Dragon Lee is now going over to WWE and WWE's Twitter page. They showed a video and Triple H, he would like retweet that video and also put some words on there as well. So Dragon Lee is going to WWE. I think that's a big pickup for WWE. And I think that's a big pickup for uh, just the wrestling business as a whole, because I believe WWE working with AAA, that could work in the better like part for the wrestling business because they can show uh, the wrestling world and the world in general what Lucha Libre is all about. You don't just get uh, one style. You're getting a whole complete hybrid style. Dragon Lee is a whole complete hybrid style. He has the striking. He has the submission. He has the power. He has the speed. He really is a hybrid. He was uh, what you would want to see in this new evolution of Lucha Libre wrestling here. And personally for me, I'm happy to see him 
in WWE because you want to know why there's going to be more uh, Hispanic representation in WWE. You're not just going to get Santos, Escobar, your Dominic Mysterio, your Rey Mysterio, uh, your Joaquin Wiles, and your Raul Mendoza. Now you're getting Dragon Lee. Dragon Lee, I believe, is going to probably be at NXT in the early parts of 2023 and probably be moved up to the main roster probably by the end of 2023, if anything else. Because I don't think somebody of the caliber of Dragon Lee who's been wrestling for so long needs to be in NXT that much. NXT is usually for people that need to hone their craft and all this type of stuff. Dragon Lee, again, wrestling for years. He probably needs to work on the WWE environment, like how you need to move around in front of their TV cameras, how you need to move around in their rings to get yourself adjusted by that. But I think, again, by the end of 2023, I think Dragon Lee needs to be moved up to the main roster. So again, Dragon Lee is now part of WWE. Congratulations to Dragon Lee. Now, the one thing that's been going on this whole entire year that I think people have been sleeping on is Impact Wrestling has been really dominating the wrestling uh, industry in 2022. If we're really going to be honest, if people don't think about it and don't really question it, I'm going to put it like this to you. Impact Wrestling has had their wrestlers on two different companies' pay-per-views this year. They had their Impact Knockout Champion, Mickey James, in the Royal Rumble for WWE, and they had the Motor City Machine Guns on AEW's All Out pay-per-view. Now, that is something that WWE nor AEW has able to do. AEW has had their wrestlers on Impact's uh, pay-per-views, yeah, sure. But on their competition, WWE's television or thing like that, no, they have not been able to do that. Impact has not been able to do that and WWE, still the same thing. They haven't. They have not had their competition on AEW show, but they've had it on... No, they haven't even had it on Impact Wrestling either. They've been taking guys from Impact to go back to WWE. They took the Good Brothers back there now. They took Jonah, who's back there now. Um, right now, I'm not certain if it's Vincent is going to be in WWE. I know for one of the NXT TV tapings, there's a fan like spotted Vincent up there with one of his guys from the Righteous. Impact Wrestling has been dominating. Impact Wrestling has had good matches at the good matches at the good matches. You had good matches with the calibers of the likes of Josh Alexander, Speedball, Mike Bailey, Chris Bay, Ace Austin, Trey Miguel, Black Taurus, um, W. Morrissey when he was even in the company. Jonah when he was in the company whenever he went against PCO. You had good matches with the Good Brothers. You had good matches when Jay White was in the company. Oh, yes, you even had New Japan wrestlers coming down to Impact Wrestling. They even had good matches. Again, Jay White was in the company. Uh, Yuya Yamura was in the company. You had Tomohiro Ishii in the company. I can't name all the list of people that was in this Impact company just this year alone, but Impact was just nothing but flooding in talent and talent and talent in 2022. You even had the beginning of... Bullet Club's, like, inner turmoil of kicking out the Gorillas of Destiny, Tama Tonga and Tangaloa, that happened literally in the Impact ring of Jay White turning his back on those two to bring in the Good Brothers back into the Bullet Club. To where, what we have now, Tama is going to go against Carl Anderson at Russell Kingdom for the Never Open Waste Championship, and you have even the possibility of a possibly AJ Styles or even... Luke Gallows going 
with Carl Anderson to New Japan. And that could be something of WWE, AJ Styles going over to New Japan now make a big head waves in the wrestling industry. And again, that's all because of Impact and New Japan having a business dealing. And again, that's crazy. Impact has been literally dominating or underscore dominating this whole wrestling industry. I think people need to put more respect on Impact Wrestling's name, especially with their knockout division as well. You had Jordan Grace, Marsha Slamovich having great matches. You had Jordan Grace going against uh, Giselle Shaw. Great matches they had on Impact Wrestling. You had Giselle Shaw and Lady Frost whenever she was in the company earlier this year. Good match. You had Mickey James going against Deanna Perrazzo at the beginning of the year. Good matches with them. You had the women even having their first ever Queen of the Mountains ladder match at Slammiversary. Great match where um, Jordan Grace wanted her Nagas championship there. I mean, this whole thing has been crazy beyond belief for people to not believe in Impact Wrestling. For multiple times, multiple times, people have been saying that Impact Wrestling is going to die. But Impact Wrestling has been able to stand the test of time for literally 20 whole years. Also, I forgot to mention, at the beginning of the year, Impact Wrestling brought in Honor No More, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, uh, PCO, Kenny King, Vincent. And now, with this year ending, you see Mike Bennett and Matt Taven and Maria Kanellis, all three of them are signed to AEW. Again, as I said before, Vincent, he might be going over to WWE. Kenny King, he's still with Impact Wrestling. PCO, I have no idea. We, I don't know nothing about PCO until PCO pops right back up again. But again, Impact Wrestling has been the place, and they constantly make it known that this is the place where you guys can come here after you have been released for whatever company you have been released from, you guys can come here and we're going to let you just ball out and just do what you want to do to let the world know, hey, I am a great professional wrestler. Hey, I am a great, well, sports entertainer and certain people's character if you want to reinvent yourself that way. We are going to allow you to do what you want to do here within reason to showcase, hey, another companies, another big company like a WWE or AEW, if they want to sign me, hey, I am here, look at my uh, tapes, look at my matches, look at what I'm doing here, and this can show you the type of potential I can bring to your company. And it still is mind-boggling to me how AEW or WWE have not signed a contract with Impact Wrestling to try to make them a deal for them to be their developmental uh, company, for them to be in a partnership with that company. Now, again, this might be under wraps that might be happening with AEW and Impact. It might be happening with a WWE Impact, especially with as many uh, talent or wrestlers. WWE basically just swooped in and grabbed up from uh, Impact Wrestling. That might be the case, but I'm just saying I hope Impact Wrestling has some type of deal with a wrestling company that's in the United States, one of the big two, WWE or AEW. I know Impact works with... New Japan, so if they were with New Japan, I will hope they should be able to deal with uh, AEW, but since WWE is kind of now in new hands of Triple H, Triple H is a wrestler's wrestler, and he likes the wrestling business, he might be willing to actually work with New Japan, since now he got Carl Anderson going over there, and Carl Anderson's cool with Rocky Romero, a guy that works in New Japan's office, so he might be the building block for WWE to work with New Japan. I think Impact Wrestling is in a great space for 
I again, either WWE or AEW to literally grab them and say, hey, we want to work with you. We'll send some of our people there. People might think that they're fired, but we're going to send them there so they can get better and hone their craft there and give them some time to build a character there. So whenever they come back to WWE, hey, we have something here that we can show video from what they have done or the smart wrestling fans that watch everything. They'll know it and they'll spread the gospel of what they've been doing. And ta-da, you give Impact Wrestling some spread, well, some credibility, and give them some more, uh, not going to say leverage, some more uh, influence in the wrestling industry to say for people to come down to Impact Wrestling instead of looking at them as a joke-type company. And you also give the talent who isn't doing anything or needs to uh, get a refresher course in how to move around in the ring they can go to impact and do all that type of stuff because again not a lot of people know quote unquote about impact like that as they watch it because people are going to be saying look at the ratings i don't care about none of that i want people to watch impact wrestling so they can see great professional wrestling and potentially some of the wrestlers that might be going towards your companies next because what people don't know is that ethan page who is now becoming a prominent member on AEW's roster. He was a part of Impact Wrestling for some years, and now his tag team partner, Josh Alexander, he's the Impact World Champion, and they were a great tag team as the North. He might be going over to another company maybe in the following years. I know he just signed, re-signed back with Impact this year. I'm not sure if he's going to re-sign again whenever his contract ends because I think that he needs to go to one of the bigger companies, either WWE or AEW. He gets mentioned in the names of Kurt Angle, the way he'd be having matches with the caliber of opponents that he had this year, I mean, he was working his tail off. So again, I think that, again, people need to pay attention to what Impact Wrestling has out there. The kind of athletes that they have, the type of wrestlers that they have, the type of creative freedom that they allow these wrestlers to do. Wrestling companies need to take note of what Impact is doing, and I think the wrestling fans need to put more respect on Impact Wrestling's name instead of just not paying them any type of respect so that's just my personal preference on impact so again this is a big endorsement from me to you watch impact wrestling i guarantee you you will not be dissatisfied in the wrestling out of that whole entire company and it might even blow away some of your favorites in wwe and aew if you watch it like weekly to be honest with you but now with that being said, I hope you guys have a great New Year's Eve. Don't get too stupid out there because, again, people are willing to try to do anything they can. Just try to make mess up your uh, New Year's Eve going into the New Year's and make your first day of New Year, of the New Year uh, trash. So don't allow them to do that. I want you guys to be safe out there. Be good. Don't do anything stupid yet again. And please, please be safe. Now, from me to you, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I love you all. I thank you. I hope you guys listen to my episode tomorrow for a Sunday episode. As usual, it will be the first episode of the new year. But if you don't, hey, you'll be hearing from me again next Saturday on the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, where I also will be giving you the results of New Japan's uh, Wrestle Kingdom show where Kenny Omega will be going against Will Ospreay, as well as Jay White will be defending the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship against Kazuska Okada. Now, with that being said, I love you all. I thank you. Kanye West, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.